0: Rajiv, thank you so much for coming on today uh, and uh, telling us about your company and about your story. Um, let's get started with your background and how you sort of came into this space. Tell us, uh, tell us about you.
1: Sure. Uh, so uh, that was first, thanks for, thanks for inviting me here, right? The, uh, the opportunity to be able to present to you is, uh, is something uh, that I take as, a, as, a, uh, as an honor. Uh, Me myself, I have uh, worked about 17 years in the industry uh, in all kinds of consumer electronic companies, uh, ranging from chipsets in companies like Texas Instruments to uh, finished products at companies like Amazon, Google, Snapchat, and most recently at Skip Transport, where I was building uh, electronic uh, kick scooters, uh, much like what uh, Bird and Lime have out there. Uh, Having built consumer electronic gadgets for years and years and years, and realized that most of them end up in your bedside drawer or in uh, e-waste, I decided, uh, uh, why not take a step back, uh, take a drastic uh, pay cut, and try to do something different, try to do something that actually makes a difference to someone. Um, And that's where I chanced upon uh, this idea of building an autonomous wheelchair. And the way I came across this uh, is quite simply the fact that having to ha- have having to had travel so much for work uh, between the U.S. and Asia and not, not to mention personal travel. I used to observe how wheelchair services are provided at airports. And quite frankly, it's uh, eye opening. It's, it's disturbing from some standpoints because a lot of the passengers are left overwhelmed. It's uh, encouraging for a smaller portion of the population because you see that they need the service. So um, here I am with uh, a reasonable knowledge of uh, uh, being able to build a product, uh, a, a robotics product, and uh, uh, a need in, an air- in a setting like an airport where there's a need for an autonomous wheelchair. I spent some time with uh, the service providers that provide services in airports and became absolutely clear to both of us that uh, a smart wheelchair will help not just them as a service provider, but also the passengers who are um, who are riding them. So that's where it all started, though.
0: Fantastic! Uh, your your background in sort of creating those consumer products uh, it, it seems to be like the ideal fit uh, for this new product. And autonomous vehicles have been, you know, all the rage for the last you know six months a year. Um, so, but I don't think I've ever heard of an autonomous wheelchair. So th- this is a really interesting concept. I, w- I really want to dig into this. Um, but tell me, sort of, that first uh, few months when you actually thought about this and started to sort of create a business around this product, what was the initial goal? Because I'm not—I'm sure you're not thinking about you know a finished product that—that's way down the line. How do you first get started?
1: Yeah. So. Uh uh, the first thing I did was actually talk, uh, observe. That, that's, that's really where I spent most of my time. Uh, I quit uh, a well-paying job and decided to just travel and uh, 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 visit with, uh, with friends uh, and family uh, in different parts of Asia. And in the airports, I would just sit and observe, and I started taking notes on what different challenges I saw from the service standpoint. Uh, I would talk to a few of those passengers and ask them, hey, uh, everyone's left the gate. You guys are left by yourselves. Uh, are you anxious? And almost every elderly person I spoke with were like, we are petrified because we need to get to the US and we don't know where the next boarding gate is. Somebody spoke wow. to us in a it's clearly English, but they spoke it too fast with an accent and we have no idea what's going on. We'll just wait for the service provider to come back and cart us to the next gate. This was almost across the board, something I saw uh, in the Singapore airport, in the Tokyo Narita airport, Haneda airport, uh, Chennai and Bangalore. Uh, It was very common in in these airports where you would have elderly passengers who needed to get from point A to point B and they they just, they were struggling. And these are large airports, generally speaking. So uh, just walking around to the closest display panel was not obvious. So uh, in some sense, that was my first instantiation of the customer. Uh, I still hadn't gotten to the In the back of my mind, a smart wheelchair was there all the time, right? So I'll be lying if I said I didn't have a pre-baked solution uh, waiting there. But my pre-baked solution was honestly just an electric wheelchair. My pre-baked solution didn't consider uh, the service provider's needs. It didn't consider things like short-term rides. It didn't consider things like, hey, self-redeploy. All those weren't built into this. So um, as I talked to the service providers, uh, it became totally clear. And we had very candid conversations. These are all off-the-record kind of conversations we had with them. Uh, Most of them stopped talking once they realized that, oh, man, I'm giving away too much information to this (laughs) random guy who clearly is a traveler, but he's asking me really peculiar questions. Uh, I would ask, how, free, how many rides do you give a day? How many per hour? Are there peak seasons up and down? Uh, obviously, I, w- I would know what the minimum wage is, and you can tell from somebody's uh, uh, job satisfaction whether they're actually looking for a bump in their salary or not, right. uh, and how they interact with the passengers. Uh, so I spent quite a bit of time with these service providers and slowly went up the proverbial ladder in their companies and uh, talked to the regional directors and the vice presidents. And uh, without a doubt, as I morphed the feedback from these elderly passengers that I was talking to, into the concept of an electric wheelchair, you know, including things like ergonomics, including interactive display, including the ability to not bump into obstacles, including the ability to self-redeploy. Uh, every uh, agency I spoke with, their first question was what's it going to cost
0: and
1: in my mind, uh, having built products all the way through cost is a part of the equation. It's one variable in your equation. You cannot not talk about cost,
0: right. but
1: they, they were seeing me more as a technologist and they were concerned that this was going to be really expensive because in all candor, there has been one company that has shopped around an autonomous wheelchair in the past. And, uh, uh, their, uh, entry point was just too high. The capex needed just to deploy one wheelchair was just too high and everybody just shot it down. So their concern was, okay, you're talking about all these features. Um, you haven't built anything yet. Here's a company that has some of these features. They've built something. They're crazy expensive. Uh, yeah. you're doomed from the get go. Right.
0: Uh,
1: so I, I, I came back home. Uh, I talked to a handful of friends who I've worked with in the past. Uh, some uh, decided to join me on the journey, working part-time. Uh, me, without an income, just sitting at home, burning away our savings. Uh, we, we started sketching things out. We started building a system architecture. I started talking to suppliers who could potentially supply us. And we made deliberate choices so far along the way that we invent only those things that we need. We are not going to invent a motor. We're not going to invent a motor controller. We're not going to invent a display. Uh, We're not going to invent a wheelchair. What we're going to do is borrow from all existing really mature fields and be a good system integrator. Uh, So that's really where we've spent most of our time just researching what's available there. What can I get for, honestly, dirt cheap? Uh, what can I uh, uh, borrow from a, a parallel industry where the same components are available for a lot cheaper and uh, from multiple sources, not just the medical wheelchair company space that is already uh, bloated in many ways. So uh, the first few months were spent just doing a bunch of discovery and a lot of reading, to be, to be honest.
0: <laughs> Got it. Um- Now, just uh, going back to that medical space, just to understand the market a little bit more, um, you know, just going from a regular wheelchair to an electric wheelchair is a pretty significant jump as far as price and as far as uh, obviously maintenance and all of those uh, upkeep type uh, things as well. Um, When I look at an airport and obviously, you know, having traveled, you see the wheelchairs that. Uh, that are available in the airports. They're not not even close to what's you know considered standard in the medical space, right? They're they're really flimsy. Really, they're meant to just get you you know uh, across an airport. Um, those types of things. They're not meant to be comfortable. Um, so I'm guessing the price point for those is also significantly lower. And now you're talking about making that jump not just to an electric uh, wheelchair, but to an autonomous wheelchair so it, it seems like you know in, in the medical space the uh, the the divide is maybe this big and now you're talking about a divide that's this big um so tell me how you sort of wrap your mind around all of those things and obviously you know you you mentioned you have a competitor in this space already how do you manage your cost to stay uh, you know significantly below where they are
1: yeah so um uh, you have a few questions wrapped in here, though: so I'll start with the simplest one, right? <laughs> okay. Wheelchairs in airports—they typically come in, uh, I would say, two flavors. One flavor is this collapsible wheelchair, which um, you're right is a "quote unquote" really cheap product. It's quite robust to be to be to mm. be perfectly okay. fair to that industry, right? Uh, uh, some of the wheelchairs that are sitting in, in inventory right now in airports have been there for like 12 years.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: They've had some upkeep to them. They would change the leather, fake leather uh, covers on them. Uh, they would upgrade the flagpoles to make them compliant, uh, but nothing significant. So they're pretty robust things. Uh, so that's one class of products. And they typically cost between three and four hundred bucks per wheelchair. Okay. Uh, which is not the retail price you get for a manual wheelchair in the market today. You can right. get a manual wheelchair in the market today for about 60 bucks. Okay. So uh, the reason these airport ones are as expensive as they are at about three, $400 is simply because they're slightly more robust. They can take a beating. Right. Uh, unlike the pure manual ones that you, you get off of um, a shipment container from China. Uh, now, there's another class that are non-collapsible. Uh, they're made by a company called Staxi. Uh, uh, the uh, frames are comparable in strength, they're, uh, they're quite robust as well, they also take a beating, but they have very few um, damageable parts. Now the collapsible wheelchairs, they have, they have the seat that's collapsible, the backrest that's collapsible, so it, it tears, it, it takes, uh, uh, has casters that break. The Staxi one is slightly smarter. Um, those still cost between five and $700 each. Uh, so that's really where we got some of our inspiration from by looking at these two and saying, hey, how are they able to take what looks like the $100 wheelchair, the $60 wheelchair, but is able to survive for five, six, 10 years in the airport? So we use that as a baseline for our mechanical frame for the wheelchair. Uh, so we've tried to stay in the mechanical cost structure uh, by standing on the shoulders of giants, if I may uh, that have built the existing wheelchairs on the electric side that 's the second layer of your question uh, how have we kept the costs uh, where they are so there is a cost cost divide over there and you can get an electric wheelchair uh, certified from China in the order of about four hundred bucks u s mm-hmm. uh, is it the 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 most robust solution, perhaps not, but it starts at about four hundred. Uh, it goes to about I would say fifteen hundred. This is uh, a, a certified, uh, reliable product, uh, typically made in China because China is where most batteries and motors are made, right? So the supply chain in the uh, in the states is very limited. In Europe, is very limited. They still buy the batteries and motors from China. So um, uh, this is the range of electric wheelchairs, uh, somewhere between about. Uh, or five hundred bucks, all the way up to about fifteen hundred dollars. Now, the retail price for these is a whole different story. You go to your permobiles and your uh, um, uh, more reputed wheelchair manufacturers, you will get these for about eight, nine thousand dollars. Now, there is a very simple reason for that. Uh, those are made for full-time use, like somebody who is disabled and needs a wheelchair to move around at all times. Right. Uh, The the little uh, uh, fork in the road that we took was saying, hey, we're looking at a fleet service. So we need the robustness of the existing wheelchairs in the airports, but we don't need the ergonomics to make it such that it fits a disabled person for 10 hours a day. We need to serve a disabled person or person with restricted mobility for about uh, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Right. So there are, there are things we can do on the ergonomics of the seat, on the ergonomics
0: of the arm. do nope. I think I just lost you. You still there? Right. Um, I lost you there for a second. Uh, yep. Now i still it losing looks like you. Back. I can hear you. Okay. I I can. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, your video is frozen, but I can certainly hear you. Okay. Now I can see you. <laughs> can you? Can you see me? Can you hear? me? I
1: can. I can. Okay. Everything's uh- good. And I have red bars sitting on. Uh, uh, on on the Wi-Fi.
0: Okay, <laughs> um, you we're gonna have to obviously cut this part out. But uh, I lost you, right? As you were saying, ergonomics of the seat, ergonomics of the arms. So why don't we pick yeah. up from that again?
1: Yeah. So uh, uh, there are multiple classes of medical grade uh, wheelchairs that index a lot on the ergonomics of the seat for a full time use passenger. We don't have a full time use passenger. We have a short term use passenger who today is very comfortable on the quote-unquote bad ergonomics of the staxis and the, uh, the foldable wheelchairs. So all we, we had to do was identify that, hey, what little upgrade do we have to do the ergonomics of the seat and ergonomics of the armrest so that we can bump up this customer from uh, the, the staxi and the low-cost wheelchairs onto our product, but still not spend the kind of uh, ergonomic expenses that the permobiles and the jazzy's make. So that's the middle ground we found. Uh, So we've uh, 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 begged, borrowed, and stolen drivetrains from the electric scooter market. The electric scooter market grossly subsidized motor development. They grossly subsidized, um, subsidized for us, not for themselves, grossly subsidized battery development. So you get high-capacity lithium-ion batteries at relatively low cost, you get high powered motors from kick scooters at relatively low cost. Uh, The motors that are used in uh, the higher end wheelchairs are purpose built for wheelchairs. So, and they have a total addressable market of maybe a few tens of thousands of um, wheelchairs. So they're still amortizing their NREs. Whereas Mm -hmm. we have taken a motor, which has been amortized now about two years ago. So, we are literally just copy pasting something that the kick scooter market is using. So we've tried to use this combination of what the electric kick scooter market subsidized from a drivetrain standpoint onto a uh, electric wheelchair so that we can keep our costs in check. Uh, so for in some sense to call us an electric wheelchair is a bit of a uh, overstatement because we don't expect this to be a full-time use by any user. We right. expect it to be a short-term use. Could somebody use it full-time? Sure. But uh, depending on your disability, you might not find it as comfortable. You may not, you will not have the kinds of knobs that medical wheelchairs have to, uh, to make ergonomic adjustments. Got so it. we've tried to manage costs by doing that. Uh, your third question, Dhaval, was around <laughs> the existing competition, right? Uh, now, uh, the existing competition is a company called Wheel, W-H-I-L-L. They are an exceptional wheelchair manufacturing company. They've got a really good, robust, full-time use wheelchair that they have just added sensors to to make it autonomous. Sensors and compute to to make it autonomous. So you start off with a very high cost platform and then you layer on expensive sensors onto them. And now over time, they've lowered their sensor and compute costs. We are are not uh, uh, beholden to this high platform that they're beholden to. So that's something I think we uh, differentiate quite a bit from the standpoint of bringing a truly cost-effective, robust, fleet-ready wheelchair. Uh, the wheelchairs that our competition is using, or at least what I consider competition is using, is not fleet-worthy. It's, it still takes multiple man-hours to tear it down. Whereas to be mm-hmm. fleet-worthy, you've got to be able to tear it down in the order of minutes and then put right. it back together in the order of minutes so that uh, repair and servicing is low-cost.
0: Right. Very interesting. Okay. So tell me how long, uh, uh, how long it sort of took you to go through this thought process, find all of the pieces that are out there, because it, it seems like you're pulling from a lot of different sources and, and put together an MVP. Uh, what was that time period like?
1: So uh, uh, truth be told, uh, I told you I had this in the back of my mind, right? An autonomous yep. wheelchair. So the MVP, in some sense, was already kicked off in my mind, um, uh, I would say around October 2019. It did not have the redeployment features. It did not have the fancy display, but it had the sensor stack that we needed to make it an obstacle avoidance wheelchair. That was our MVP is, is an obstacle avo- avoidance wheelchair. That's really what our MVP is. Uh, we've just made it, made it uh, more functional, but that was not the intent of the MVP. Got so, uh, we started back in October, 2019 and it was probably April, uh, 2020 before I could get the obstacle avoidance, the collision avoidance working, uh, in a, in a manner that I uh, I thought was ready to be able to capture a video and send it out to a bunch of uh, folks who were interested.
0: Oh my God. Uh, I'm just thinking about that time frame, uh, April 2020. That's pretty much when everything shut down. All the airports. <laughs> uh, what was that period like? What was uh, you know the rest of 2020 like for you? Yeah, uh, uh,
1: there's a part of me that says it was awful, but there's another huge part of me that's uh, awful simply because nobody would talk to us anymore, because they all said that, "Hey, what can I tell you?" Our market shut down. I don't know if I'll have my team tomorrow. I don't know if the government debt relief is going to come in to keep our company alive. So, But that's one side. The other side is I had committed to this, so I've got to stick with it for the long run. The, what's happening in the market, yes, it does impact my ability to fundraise. It does impact my ability to get folks to work with me. But I already have a group of relatively smart people who are giving me their free time In the order of about 30 hours a week, sometimes. So they're giving me a lot of time. They're giving me a lot of uh, encouragement. I can't let them down. So I've got this almost came like a blessing to me. By this, I mean COVID, where I could say, you know, take a step back, focus on the product, and keep working on the product, refine the product. So uh, uh, between, uh, I would say, April and October of uh, 2020, it was nothing but just. uh, chipping away at the product feature by feature and um, uh, our good fortune uh, by the time our design was uh, getting somewhat wrapped up, China had opened back up, uh, US was still shut down, so I'll get to that in a bit, uh, but part, one of our design partners, design meaning industrial design, uh, they were based in India. So they were able to work all the way through summer. There was the industrial designers of the creative kind. So they don't really need an office to work in. They'll work from anywhere. Yep. Uh, but the only thing they needed the office for was to do an ergonomic study. So they would come in as two people and do their ergonomic study. Me sitting in San Jose, getting on calls with them in uh, in India, uh, in, in uh, Gurugram was uh, interesting in many ways, but it kept things going. Right? So we had the momentum. Right. And uh, We had done enough of our, most of the work was now sitting in CAD and software. That could easily be done at home remotely. So even today, we we are a team of four. Uh, We are completely in different parts of the world. We are between San Jose, uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Salem, India. And uh, for some reason, it feels like we are moving smoothly uh, and we haven't seen each other in uh, God knows how long, but, uh, uh, well, we have sees, we sees our, right. our our room, our video, but, in but in we've never yeah. met right from that standpoint or during the course of this work. So, uh, it was painful from many standpoints, but it was a blessing from many, many other standpoints because it allowed us to focus on the product and it, it in some sense tested my metal. Is am I really committed to this or am I doing right. this for fun you know, for grins and giggles? Right. So, uh, tested me in many ways. I had my down days, but uh, uh, it's those few up days. It's a few days when uh, you know, the guy from Prospect calls and says, hey, we looked at uh, all the cost models you put in place. Uh, you're actually off. And I'm smashing my head saying, oh man, there goes the business. They're like, no, you're off the wrong way. It's a much bigger business than, than you've, you've projected. Interesting. So those were the few up days and I still cling on to them as tight as I can.
0: Right, right, right. So, okay. So, I, I think uh, you, you laid out the timeline really beautifully. So, let's get to the end of 2020. Um, what does the product look like? I think you have a couple of pictures in the pitch deck that yeah. obviously the investors can see once they log into Startup Stereo. But um, it, it essentially looks like a standard wheelchairs with a bunch of gadgets attached to it. So, t- talk to me about what what, the, what what are those things and how do they function.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, in the pitch deck, you, in one of the slides, you'll see three pictures next to each other. One would say MVP that's still alive. It's sitting in the garage. I drive it around. Um, I bump into a few obstacles from time to time, but we're learning. <laughs> right. Uh, this, 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 this thing in the middle, which looks like a finished product, and it's, I think, on slide two or three, you'll see a much larger picture of the finished product that has been designed, purpose-built for an airport. Uh, towards the end of 2020, We have now been rejected by some 13 different manufacturers in the U.S. simply because they they don't have the capacity in COVID times to be able to build a prototype for us. And they're not interested in 1Z, 2Zs. They want high volume.
0: Right.
1: Uh, We're not at high volume yet. We still got to go through the prototype development cycle. And serendipitously, uh, we find a manufacturer in India, in Bangalore, uh, who is... Uh, in some sense, bored by doing the same thing again and again every day in their current business. And I use the word bored very loosely, so forgive me if I'm disparaging them, but that's not the intent. <laughs> but the intent is to say that they were looking for a creative right. outlet. They were looking to do something new. And uh, serendipitously, through alma maters of my dad, and uh, it's a strange connection, uh, worth a story some other time. This gentleman says, hey, it looks hard enough for me to give it a shot. Let me give this a shot. I have nothing to lose. I've been rejected by 13 manufacturers in the US. There are two in China who are wanting to nibble on it, but I'm not there yet with them because the DFM, the design for manufacturing process is taking a little bit longer with them than I had expected. So we're still doing that. And this gentleman in India picks it up um, and he builds things uh, cost-wise in an amazing scale meaning he's charging us stuff that he should charge us in mass production. He's not charging us well, prototype yeah. costs, which are usually about right. five to eight X mass production costs. He's right. charging us mass production pricing. He's slower than we had expected, but you know, I'm not in a rush. I don't want to do the, uh, the wrong thing fast. I'd rather do the right thing slow,
0: right. Uh,
1: especially when it comes to manufacturing. If I build a prototype that crashes the first day, I'm done. Uh, there is no, right. there's no two ways about this. I have got to build it right. This is the first uh, first time I'm getting at this. Let me, let me do it right. Yep. So we put up with him. We put up a whole bunch of tests and checkpoints in place, and by the end of December uh, or end of 2020, we've got a solution that uh, is ready to uh, get assembled, uh, and that's really where uh, that's really where we ended the year.
0: Okay, so, so we've got the middle piece.
1: Uh, that right. the middle piece being the uh, looks like. Uh, prototype that 's uh, uh, in the process of being manufactured now
0: got it so w- when we 're talking about this functionality, obviously you know a, a battery and a motor are uh, they 're sort of the uh, uh, cost to enter the market but then what other sensors and uh, uh, instruments do you have on board? Um, are we talking about just cameras are we talking about you know radars are we talking about you know t- talk to me about the technology piece uh, of the puzzle
1: right, so uh, i'm a I'm start off saying this is an indoor use product, yep, and it's it moves at slow speeds, so you always have to the lens you have to put in front of your face is always low speed indoor low speed indoor, and you'll very quickly realize we do not need the expensive solutions we don't need high end flash lidars we don't need lidars now. Could we use them? Absolutely. But do we need them? So and the, and the answer is no. So we've, uh, we've very carefully picked, based on need, a sensor stack that consists of uh, a vision system, meaning just, just vision, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a depth solution, which is, um, if you may, something like a time-of-flight solution, where I project a pattern and I see how quickly yep. that pattern comes back. Which works only indoors. It will not work outdoors. But the vision works outdoors. So we've got that balance between these two. So we've offloaded whatever. There's two ways to look at this dump a ton of the sensing cost on the sensor and keep high compute, which is your LiDAR, or dump a whole bunch of uh, cost on your compute and lower the cost of your sensors. Right. Uh, We've gone the second route because we know compute is going to scale. It scales with time, it has scaled uh, uh, Moore hasn't let us down uh, in, in 30 years. Yep. Now, uh, Will he? He might, but uh, I think Gordon Moore has been mostly right. Uh, so our sensor stack consists of the need, is what do I need to detect? I need to detect things at at least 30 frames a second. I need to detect things that uh, are uh, able to react at my speeds, which are two, three miles an hour, Mm-hmm. at distances of one and a half to two meters. I don't need to know what 150 meters at 70 kilometers an hour looks like, or right. 70 miles an hour to make it worse, right? right. Um, so our sensor stack consists of ultrasonics, uh, i start at the beginning, sorry, uh, vision, depth, uh, ultrasonics, and we are right now uh, investigating uh, time of flight, conventional time of flight, and a conventional radar. So these are the, and all these are scaling with consumer electronics. So we have deliberately picked solution sets where we can ride the coattails or the the tailwinds right. of consumer electronics, which is going to drive costs down.
0: Got it. Got it. And and now let's talk about the user experience. So once someone actually sits down in the product, or oh, do they just push a button and then it, the, you know, the the wheelchair goes or do they manually control? Is, the, is it a combination? It'd give us a little more color on the product.
1: Yeah, so uh, at, the, at the simplest user interaction, you would first start off by scanning your boarding pass. Your boarding pass consists of every tiny detail you can imagine about your flight. Uh, where you're connecting, when you're connecting, uh, what gate it's supposed to be on at, at the time of printing the boarding pass. And that barcode will change over time. Your name, your age, your gender, everything. Uh, so the moment you scan it in, uh, the back-end software systems, which in all candor we have not implemented yet, but our partners have that implemented already. When I say partners, I'm talking about guys like Prospect Airport Services. So we would be leveraging their back-end interfaces. We know where it needs to go to. Uh, we know when it needs to be there. And obviously, we know where we are today. So these, right. these three are well understood today. We have a map of the airport as well. So, we know how to navigate it. Uh, could this be just hit a button? Sure. Um, but I don't think it's, uh, it's going to end up uh, being that simple. Uh, I say that simply because we'll have to first educate the user saying, hey, scan your boarding pass, sit down. This is the path the vehicle is going to take, at least initially. Uh, you have at all times the ability to override with a joystick. If you did not like the path, or the route, or the speed, or whatever that the wheelchair is taking. So that anytime you override the joystick, a new path is computed. Anytime you override the joystick, the autonomous system says, hey, looks like somebody's taken over, let me back off, until they tell me to kick back in again. So the user interface will always have the button that you're referring to that says, yes, please continue. But at any point in time, your ultimate non-maskable interrupt, if I may use that phrase, meaning... Nobody can can override that interrupt, is the joystick. The moment you right. touch the joystick, the computer's back off. Everything's and, they off wait, right. and they wait for the next uh, user interrupt to come in to say go. Uh, okay. There's always a stop button. If you didn't like anything, hit the stop button and the computer says, okay, somebody didn't like me, let me not do
0: anything. Okay, okay. A- a- and let's take this a step further still where you know, a lot of the, uh, um, the, the page, uh, the passengers who will be using the the chair, they may be elderly, they may not really know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so they may not necessarily know how to hit stop or use the joystick. Exactly. Uh, but at the same time, they, they, they want that human connection. So someone helping them out, uh, yeah. uh, uh, even if it's not in, you know, right there in the room, uh, yeah. how do you deal with situations like that?
1: Yeah, so uh, the way we've tried to envision this is there will be a process for onboarding. So somebody will get you comfortable with it. If your answer is, I'm not comfortable writing this, uh, and it's a harsh way to say this, but you probably are not ready to uh, go on the journey by yourself. So like you mentioned, you want somebody with you. But the whole point of this business model is, if I were to dedicate somebody next to the wheelchair, uh, we've not done it, we've not changed anything.
0: might as well be pushing it.
1: Might as well be pushing it. Uh, So the alternatives that we have spoken about with the uh, service agencies is we will have a video stream of a person on your screen, uh, always there, ready to interact with you. So think of it as your virtual assistant, but it's a human being uh, who is arguably your remote pilot, is is your remote teleoperator, who's always there to um, help you should you run into any trouble there is that uh, limited human interaction, not as much as one would like. There's no touch. There's no speaking on, uh, uh, by your ear. But uh, they're at the other end of, a, uh, of that display that we have in the product.
0: Got it. And they'll have the Th- that's ability how to uh, actually envision service provider. Right. And they'll actually, the remote pilot will actually have the ability to drive the wheelchair so this way they can take control and say okay let me take you to the left and then actually the wheelchair goes to the left
1: that's absolutely right so the remote pilot will always have the ability to override now if you are messing with the joystick and the remote pilot's missing you got a problem you can have only one master so uh, obviously when the remote pilot's driving your hands off as a passenger and you're just there for the ride right
0: okay So I I think I have a pretty good sense of, you know, the product and the progress so far today. Um, What's the plan for 2021? Where are you hoping to sort of take the company over the next 12 months? Uh,
1: So right now we are in the process of building uh, the first two prototypes. Most of the parts for it are sitting in different parts of this house right now. (laughs) Uh, They are waiting for the metal parts to arrive from India. This gentleman who serendipitously uh, 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 I met, he's putting it together. So he should be able to ship this out by the end of next week. So let's, uh, for grins and giggles, say that the metal parts are here by mid-March. So it'll be about mid-April before I can complete it with all the plastic parts that I have here and the motors and the batteries. So by mid-April, we will have uh, a working form-factor prototype. The intention is to port all of our software that we have developed on the MVP onto this. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, we are budgeting about a month's worth of work just for iterative improvements. So by mid-May, we will have this working prototype ready to be trialed at the San Jose airport. And I say San Jose simply because uh, they have been chomping at the bit. To, uh, uh, to get this wheelchair deployed. This is not ready for deployment yet, right? So it's, just a, it's still just a trial with uh, our employees and maybe the few employees in San Jose who are interested in riding it. It's still not open to passengers. Right. It's not until summer when, we get, when we've vetted out this hardware, we made sure it's working right, uh, made our tiny iterations to it. If it requires bigger iterations, we have a problem. So uh, uh, the, the schedule resets. So tiny iterations, uh, by summer, we will have five more of these devices that will be deployable and, uh, uh, in San Jose Airport or in um, San Francisco Airport. And right now, we're in conversations with both airports to trial this with passengers in the summer. Um, all these, these trials will be non-revenue trials. These will be trials to learn. These will be trials to make improvements. And the intention is that by Q4 of this year we get to do a revenue state, with uh, with one of the two service providers who works in San Jose or San Francisco. So the intention is to get to revenue by Q4 of 2021, with Got a small it. fleet, uh, not more than uh, not more than 50 vehicles.
0: Okay, so end the year by about 50 or less than 50 vehicles. Correct. Is the idea okay? Um, so I, I, I think I sort of understand the potential of this uh, this platform. Um, what's the grander vision, if you would? What's the three five year vision? Uh, because they, obviously investors are going to be highly focused on on, on that. Um, where do you expect to take this company?
1: Uh, if if I might be brutally honest, in the three year time frame, I think we're still deploying. We're still uh, uh, increasing. Uh, the number of airports, the number of people we can touch with this product. In the five-year time frame, I'm hoping to have an exit with one of the service providers that's already there. Uh, and we've uh, uh, quite candidly had this conversation with two of the service providers who've expressed interest and, said, uh, and where they have expressed saying, you could just become an extension of our company. Right. Uh, where we absorb you so that the other guy doesn't get access to your technology. Uh, so you're not selling technology to the other guys. Right. Because uh, the two companies we're talking to have both clearly felt or stated, hey, this is coming. Yeah, uh, We're not going to stop this. Uh, autonomous cars are driving out there. They may not be doing exceptionally well, but they're there. It's not going to take a monumental effort to uh, translate that into our business. Uh, because they are fighting uh, three kinds of headwinds. Uh, the first headwind is labor costs. Labor costs are increasing. The second headwind is the demand from various cities to add health care into, um, uh, uh, into their pay. So both of them hit their bottom line, right? There's no issue right. about there. The third is they don't know how to staff. They struggle with staffing today. So the, the way they solve the staffing problem, which is a very, you have peaks of demand where you have sometimes 90 people getting off a plane or need to get right. off a plane to turn around. They don't have 90 people on, on their staff that can right. be dedicated to one aircraft. So they're constantly battling staffing. Even if the other two didn't exist, they still have to solve this third problem. And today they have no solution for it uh, except to delay the passenger, which today the passenger is willing to say, you know what? I'm old, I'll just wait. Uh, right. I don't have anywhere to be. I don't have uh, uh, a, a pressing demand to get somewhere. So these service providers are f- always, at least today, fighting these three problems without COVID, right? without uh, an economic downturn. So let's set that, as- park that aside altogether. So they need a solution that addresses these three. Uh, today, they don't have any. So uh, I'm personally convinced that in the five-year horizon, uh, there's an exit with one of these service providers for sure for, um, uh, for the company. That, that, that's from the financial standpoint. But while we're doing this, today it's a wheelchair. Nothing stops us from making this an automatic luggage carrier that is trailing you. That is uh, uh, the same technology stack, nothing different. Uh, of course, there's no joystick sitting on it, of course. Uh, But this is uh, carrying your luggage, your smart cards. So, um, uh, and there's a potential to take that into a whole different business altogether. And here, we're still talking just the airport vertical. We haven't talked about the other verticals we can be addressing. So I think the potential is uh, for Blueberry is significant.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so we've, we've had, uh, by the way, name of the company, Blueberry Technology, obviously, uh, we want to make sure we highlight that. Um, we've gone through sort of the entire story, but uh, there are obviously a lot of sort of ins and outs. Is there anything important that I should have asked you that I might not have?
1: <laughs> uh Uh, qu- quite, quite honestly, I think we've touched upon a lot, uh, Dhaval. Uh, yeah. We've not uh, uh, skipped a beat in many of these <laughs> conversations in any particular place. Right. But there is... Um, uh, in all candor, uh, I, I said something out very nonchalantly, saying there are other verticals. But I want to be cautious about other verticals. Uh, this product, this, uh, this uh, solution that we are, we are putting in place It works only when there is frequent use of the product. Mm. So which airports, hospitals, that's about it. Every other word vertical there is, is more of a, um, a publicity mechanism is more of a mechanism for us to learn something new for the technology. Uh, if I were to example, take museums, take grocery stores, take, um, um, any other facility where there's uh, theme parks, the utility over there is not that frequent. You don't, so, this works, the, the business works only when there are lots of wheelchairs used frequently. Uh, so, w- when I threw out that phrase, uh, you know, uh, there are many other verticals we can go after. <laughs> I have to be a little cautious about that. I, I don't want to paint too rosy a story and say that, hey, this can be a B2C product or this can be a a five-unit deployment at a Costco, it doesn't right. work at five units Right. because the uh, the economics are just not there.
0: Yep. No, so I, there I, is that
1: wrinkle, Daval.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, and it's also important to recognize the TAM it, it, with this product, right? With, with the airport space and just... Um, and that's... Uh, I know the, the information is in your pitch deck and that's a significant TAM that you're going after. Even if we don't, if even if we disregard all of those other verticals. So I, I think that's an important realization. And I think it, it, investors who go through your pitch deck will very quickly realize that. So I, I appreciate you sort of pointing that out uh, <laughs> and highlighting that. Um, once again, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I feel like I learned a lot and um, I have a much better understanding of, of your product. Um, so, really well done um, and thank you.
1: Oh, Thank you, Dhaval. Thank you for, for the time and thanks for the engaging conversation.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.